everyone. Thanks for tuning in. We want to invite you to learn more about the heart and vision of City of Lights. So check out our website at cityoflights.church and find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at City Lights Indy. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy today's message. What's up, fam? This is Pastor John Owens. As you can see from the recap video, we've been having an absolutely incredible time at the Build Conference, our Every Nation Leadership Conference in Orlando, Florida. And I'm telling you, there are so many testimonies. God's doing incredible things, not only in North America, but around the world. And one of those great testimonies that so many people have been asking me about all week is what is going on in Indianapolis. The stories, the miracle, the work that God's doing in City of Lights, in the city of Indianapolis is resonating. And so many people are cheering us on, cheering you on as we continue to believe and trust God to do incredible things. And so I can't wait to get back to Indianapolis. Kelly and I, we've been having a blast. It's been a great time with our family, a great time of vision and faith. But I'm telling you, oh gosh, the things that God's gonna do in this upcoming season. But you are in for a special treat this morning. My brother, David Owens, is gonna bring the word. And I'm telling you, in the natural, he is my baby brother. We uh, have known each other, I've known him since birth. But I'm telling you what, he is a man of God. He loves the word, he loves the Lord, and he loves you all at City of Lights. And so I wanna ask you to give him a rousing City of Lights welcome as he brings the word this morning, David Owens. Come on, somebody. Good morning. Good morning, church. As John said, my name is David Owens. I gotta be honest, I was kinda hoping he didn't call me his baby brother. I ain't no baby. Um, I'm actually a full-grown man, and uh, um, but it's uh, I'm so excited to be with you guys here this morning. Uh, most of you I probably know, but for those of you who don't, um, I've been a part of the lead team here uh, since we launched, and it's so cool. I remember when John and Kelly got the word uh, that they felt like the Lord was leading them here, and I was actually when they got the green light to go, um, I was actually in New York at the time, and I remember John calling me, and we were just talking about what we thought God was going to do here. And it's so cool. This Sunday, but Sundays before and Sundays to come, just to see the fruit of what God has done in their life and to see what he's doing here in Indianapolis. I'm just so excited. So um, tell you a little bit more about myself. I am not married. Uh, I don't have kids. I'm the youngest of seven kids. Um, but I do have a fiance that I just got engaged to. Woo! What a babe. She's very attractive to me. And... Um, <laughs> I can't tell you how excited I am to, uh, to start a family with her and, and to be a family with her. Um, speaking of that, I think it's so cool. Like I said, I'm the youngest of seven. Some of my family's here. My mom is here. My dad's here. Some of my siblings are probably here. But it's also like family friends. And there's one person in particular. Denise, you want to raise your hand? Denise is an incredible woman, and I love you so much. And obviously, none of you know Denise, uh, probably. And Denise has been, she's my, one of my mom's best friends. She's been like a second mom to me. Uh, most of my life. And uh, I cannot tell you how much she means to me. And one of the ways God has used Denise is through missions, right? And we're all called to missions in some form. That's one of the things she taught me when I was young, whether that be supporting someone or or going on a mission trip or joining them in prayer. We're all called to missions. And I remember there was a a, a time when Denise came to, uh, well, she, she went to the same church as me and my mom did at the time. And she was speaking 
on that Sunday because she was taking a group of people down to Belize, Central America, where she has an organization called CFI that does educational work in Central America. And she was talking and she was inviting people to come with her on this trip. And I remember as she was telling people about this pilgrimage and what they were going to be doing on it, I just felt drawn to go. And it was just something I wanted to do. At the time, I was only 13 years old. I had never been on a plane. I really wanted to be on a plane. I think my brother had just gone to Hawaii and I was complaining. And I was like, I'm 13. My life's already passed me. I've never been on a plane. At this rate, I'm never going to be on a plane. But this opportunity presented itself to me, right? And so I remember after the service, I walked up to Denise and I told her, I said, I want to go to Belize. And she said, okay, let's go tell your mom. And that made me a little nervous. I knew it probably wasn't going to fly so well with my mom. Um, so we walked up to my mom and I said, mom, I'm going to Belize. And my mom said, okay, if you want to go, you can go. And I was like, all right, cool. That was easy. Um, and so we're, we're, I'm excited about it. This is so cool. I'm going to go to Belize. I'm going to fly for the first time. It's going to be great. And then Denise tells me the specifics. She says, in order to go, you're going to have to raise $2,500. So I was 13. $2,500 might as well have been a million dollars. It was a lot of money. We didn't grow up with money. If we did, I didn't know about it. And uh, <laughs> mom's going to have a real nice retirement plan. Um, but it was a lot of money. And basically, I went from a really high high to a really low low. This thing that I would wanted, that I would hoped for, just didn't seem to be a reality. It was more of just kind of a wish. And I remember in that moment, Denise looked at me and she said, David, she probably called me Baby D. That's what she called me. Um, but she said, David, I don't want you to even think about the money. Instead, I want you to go pray about it. And if you feel like it's the Lord's will and he's calling you to go, then trust that he will provide the finances. Now, I know that might not seem significant. I'm sure she said that to every person that she's ever been on a mission trip with. But at the time, that was revolutionary to me because money had always been this thing that was just not there <laughs> and, and was something that I couldn't really overcome. And she told me not to worry about it and instead to trust in God. And so over the next, I think maybe seven months or so, I ended up being able to raise the $2,500 and go to Belize with her. My mom actually ended up going with us. She raised $2,500 as well, and it was an incredible thing. But what she did was far beyond, she, she instilled something in me that went far beyond a mission trip, right? What she told me was, she told me to have hope in God through faith. And, and when we face things that don't seem real, things that seem uncertain or things that we, don't, we doubt could ever happen, the way we are anchored is through hope in God, through faith, right? So today we're going to talk about hope, amen? Can we do that? You guys excited to talk about hope? I need some hope. I don't know if you guys need hope, but I need hope in my life. All right, so today we've been, well, this, these last uh, maybe, I guess, nine weeks now, we've been in a series called The Unshakable Series, and today's topic is hope, and we're going to talk about the idea of how the unshakable life is anchored and hope through faith in God. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just pray that you be with us this morning, Lord God. Allow your Holy Spirit to fill this room and, and, to, and to speak through me, Lord God, that whatever it is that you desire to be heard today, be spoken, Lord God, that you speak to the hearts of each and every one of us in here, Lord God. We believe you are doing a great work here in Indianapolis. We believe you're going to continue that work here today as we humble ourselves and present ourselves before you, Lord God. And we pray that at the end of this service, Lord God, that we will all be able to walk out of here with a little bit of hope in our heart, trusting and able to place our hopes and dreams in your hands in the future. In Jesus' name. So to begin, we're going to go to Romans 5, verse 1. If you guys have your Bibles, you can turn to that. If you have the Bible app, you can do that too. That counts. Actually, 
my Bible's really big, and so sometimes I feel bad I don't bring it to church, but, you know, I have the Bible app, so it's okay. Um, today I'm using my Kindle. So verse, uh, Romans 5, verse 1 says this. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So before we get, we're going to talk about five, five different characteristics, if you will, of hope, okay? But before we get started, I want to clarify what hope actually means. I think a lot of times we probably think hope is something like wishful thinking, right? I'd kind of mentioned that with my story with Denise. It's, it's this far off, this, for example, like wishful thinking would be when you own a 99 Toyota Camry and you're like, man, I really hope when I wake up, it's a 2017 Camaro. You know, that's a wishful thought. It's probably not going to happen. Or wishful thinking is thinking the Pacers are going to win the NBA championship next year. That's, that's not going to happen. Um, maybe this is our year, but it's probably not going to happen. Um, that's wishful thinking. But what we're talking about is hope. And we have examples of hope throughout the Bible. See, what, what we see is, is hope is trusting in God for good that is to come, right? That is the example of biblical hope that we have. And we see that. We see that constantly. Moses, God gave him a promise, said, I'm going to free your people. He trusted in God. God followed through. That's hope. He put his hope in God. Uh, David and Goliath. God said, you're going to slay Goliath. David trusted in God that he would overcome his adversaries. He did it. He accomplished it. When Jesus was crucified, he had told his disciples that in three days, the temple will be, I will rebuild the temple. They trusted in him. They stayed faithful. They put their hope in him, and he came through. He was proven. And that is the difference between a wishful thought and biblical hope, is we are founding our hope in a proven God. When you're wishing, what are you wishing upon a star? What is that going to do, right? And so we put our faith and our hope in God because he's proven. So that is what we are actually going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the biblical idea of hope. So the first of the five characteristics that we're going to talk about is a glorious hope, okay? So a glorious hope, this is, this, is kind of, this is kind of simple, right? When we put our hope in God, it glorifies him. That's it. God receives glory from our hope. A modern-day example of this might be something like, uh, who knows who Conor McGregor is? Does anybody know who Conor McGregor is? A few people. So to inform you, Conor McGregor is this huge uh, UFC fighter. He's, he's, he's a mixed martial artist. And he's basically risen to heights that no mixed martial artist has ever seen. Um, obviously, none of you guys have seen him, but we're going to talk about him today. So um, Conor McGregor is an Irishman. He's a very proud Irishman. And about five years ago, he was a plumber's apprentice. So he was very low in Ireland. He was on welfare, I think. And he started to fight in Ireland, and he started to build up his fan base. And so he became the star in Ireland because he won two weight, uh, championships in two different weight divisions. And at that point, he decided that he was going to come over and take over America, the fight game in America. And he's not taking over America. Um, so he's going to take over the fight game in America. So he comes over to America, but he doesn't just come over and get ready to fight. He comes over and he begins proclaiming what he is going to do. Okay? This is, this is something we had never seen before. They liken him to Ali. Honest. They, we've, he comes over and he says, I'm going to beat this whole division. I'm going to knock them all out. And I'm going to beat the champion, who at the time 
was the pound for pound champion in the world. The best fighter, considered the best fighter in the world. His name was Jose Aldo. So Connor comes over and he starts talking all his best and nobody believes him. What has he done? He's, he's won in Europe, but he had this strong Irish fan base that had seen what he had done in the past and they believed him and they said, yes, we're gonna come over. We're gonna take over the, the fight game. So he comes over and surely one by one, he starts knocking people out in the division. Calls it, I'm gonna knock you out in the first round. I'm gonna knock you out one punch. I'm gonna knock you out in the second round. And every time he did it, they started calling him Mystic Mac. And he, and he started building this persona. He would talk so much trash, talk so much trash. And then finally came the time for him to fight Jose Aldo. Now this was, was extended over about a year and a half. So we just constantly oh, on replay heard Conor McGregor saying, I'm gonna knock you out in one punch. The greatest fighter in the world, I'm gonna knock you out in one punch. And surely the night came, they stood, stood across from each other in the ring. 13 seconds, they danced around, and then with one punch, Conor McGregor knocked Jose Aldo out clean. Now, I know a lot of you guys don't know about him, but let me tell you, his celebrity, his glory, grew to heights that no person has ever seen. Just so you know, Conor McGregor, who is an MMA fighter, is now gonna fight Floyd Mayweather, who's an undefeated, arguably the best boxer of all time. Because, and the only reason he gets that opportunity is because his fan base had faith in him, and they believed in him. Now, now that's human hope, right? That's a human example of hope. So much more is God glorified when we put our lives, the hope of our lives in his hand, the hope of everyday things. When we put the hope of our health in his hands, when we put the hope of our financial circumstance in his hand, God receives the glory. So it's simple, right? When we put our hope in God, he is glorified. The second type of hope we're going to talk about today is attested hope. And as the verse that we read in, in chapter 5, verse 3, it says, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces hope. Now, this isn't always the fun part, I think, of the sermon. Um, we don't always want to hear this. But the reality is, is that we are called to live life, live lives as Christians that are countercultural, right? We are not to go with the flow of things. It's not what Jesus did. And so when you are called to live that, what it, say, what it says in, a, it says in a Mark 13, 13, it says, you will be hated because of me. That's what Jesus is saying to his followers. You will be hated because of me. The beginning of James, it says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of all kind. Joy and trials? Those two things don't go together. So how is it that we handle this? Because suffering is, is simply unavoidable uh, when bringing the good news of Christ to the world. So how is it that we get from a place of suffering to hope and joy. Well, what we have to do is we have to allow the scripture to change our perspective, okay? So when we allow the scripture to change our perspective, what we see is that suffering is nothing more than a precursor to the promise. It is nothing more than a precursor to salvation. And that's always been the case, right? What came before we experience salvation through Jesus Christ? Suffering. So it is our perspective that we must change, a tested hope, that when we face suffering, we allow it to motivate us. You see, suffering is nothing more than a sign that we're on the right path. Hallelujah. Amen? Hallelujah. We face these things, but we must let it remind us that we're on the right path. When you run a marathon, well, I don't run marathons. Um, that's, that's not God's call for me. I've never run a marathon. I'm probably never going to run a marathon. But I imagine, if any of you have run marathons, you can, you can correct me, but I imagine when you run a marathon, 
right? Marathon's what, like 20, 23 miles, something like that? 26 miles? Yeah, definitely not running a marathon. Um, so when you run a marathon, 26 something, I think it's point something too, right? 26.2, 26.2 miles. When you run 26.2 miles, right? Say you get to, and there are markers along the marathon. So say you get to the 23rd mile, right? There's going to be some pain in your legs, right? You're going to be feeling some physical suffering. But that suffering is only a sign that you've run 23 miles. And you're only three miles away from your goal, which is the finish line. And I imagine that if you turned a bend and saw a mile away, you saw the finish line, although you're experiencing physical suffering, you're probably going to be pretty happy. You might even have a smile on your face. So that is the way. While suffering is going to happen, we know it's going to be the case if we are moving in the right direction. We must simply view it as a check mark or a mile marker that we're heading in the right direction that there is a finish to what we are doing that has been promised. If there's, there's going to be no turning the bin and the finish line not being there. That would be tragic. I would not, that's, that, that would definitely finish me from marathons for the rest of my life. You're telling me I'm, I'm not going to get one of those big metal things? Um, my mom ran a 5K the other day. She's got a huge, like a huge butterfly medal. I was like, that's a 5K? Butterfly medal? Um, that's cool. So yeah, so this, is, this has to be our mindset, right? Or, even, uh, you know, you can even think about it this way. So do something that I actually have done. So I, I went to Indiana University. I graduated. I got I majored in uh, journalism and religious studies. And I remember my junior year during finals, I was just done. And I'm sure any of you that have been in school of any kind, even high school, you realize that there are some times when you're just done. You don't have any motivation. You don't want to do it. You, you struggle to see why you're doing this. And I remember I actually called Denise. Denise is going to be the the glue of this sermon. I actually called Denise and I said, Denise, I'm done. I can't do it anymore. I, I got a couple thousand dollars. I'm just going to go sell my car, fly somewhere and just try to help people because I feel like I'd enjoy that more or, or go to a church and be mentored or, or do something. But I just cannot see how what I'm doing now has any worth. It's too hard. I have no motivation. I'm struggling to wake up in the morning and even go to class. I just don't want to do it anymore. And I remember what Denise said to me, similar to what she said when I was 13. She said, you're so close. You're so close. You're in your junior finals in college. You only have a year left. Just stick it out. This is just a sign of what has to come. And I realized that. I realized that I'm struggling in my junior finals. That means I'm only a year away from my goal, which was graduation. That suffering was only a sign of what was yet to come. It was only a check mark saying that you're on your way. Now, a lot of times when we just look at the incident isolated, it's really hard to overcome. When you just look at how you're feeling in the moment, but when you step back and you have a kingdom mindset and you realize the goals that God has set for you and the promises that he's made for you, you realize that this is just one step and just means I'm one step closer to where I'm trying to go. The next year I was struggling during senior finals, but it was easy for me to see because I only had a week after that before I graduated. And that's, and that's the truth, right? You struggle, there are times every year. And it gets harder sometimes as you move along. But these sufferings, these difficulties, whatever it might be that you're going through, it is only a sign that you are on the right path. Amen. Amen. So our next type of hope is, excuse me, our next type of hope is a shameless hope. And this is important, okay? Because this is a big deal, right? It says, and hope, uh, excuse me, Romans 5, 4 says, 
and hope does not put us to shame. Now, I feel like that's probably the biggest fear, right, of hope, is that you would put your hope in something, you would put your trust in something, and you'd be disappointed, or you'd be mocked, or uh, you'd die. I mean, there's like, I mean, we could go that far. I mean, that is the reality, right? We're talking about our faith, We're talking about our lives. You put your hope in something, and you've experienced death, and that's a fear, right? But this is um, only the case when you're dealing with something that is, has, doesn't have an unblemished track record, which is the case with God. We serve a God who has an unblemished track record. He is proven. This is not, failure is not in his vocabulary. You know, I was watching, uh, I think it was like Jimmy Kimmel the other night. It was a while ago, probably. And I, don't, I was probably watching it on my phone. I don't really watch the show. But um, Jimmy Kimmel's daughter had an issue with her heart. Uh, this was kind of like national news. And, uh, and she had to go have heart surgery, I believe. It was either heart or lung surgery. And the, the hospital that they went to was um, a, it was a children's hospital, but they had the most famous doctor, right, in, it was like, well, not the famous, maybe the best doctor for that surgery. It was something like that. And before they went into surgery, the nurse pulled Jimmy and his wife aside, and they said, this doctor is the best in the world at this. You're in good hands. And I'm sure that gave them some peace, some encouragement. And I'm sure at that time when they looked at that, and how did they know he was the best doctor, right? Because he had a track record with that surgery. It had been documented that he had proven himself time and time again. And they had no issues putting their hope in him. They, had, they were not ashamed of trusting that doctor. In the same way, we should not be ashamed of trusting a proven God with a perfect track record. doesn't make sense. I remember when I was a kid, I used to, like, my, my parents were incredible, and I saw them pray over tons of people as a kid and pray for healing and things like that. And I used to be embarrassed to pray for, like, healing because I was afraid it wouldn't happen. So I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't pray for healing. I'd just be sick, or I would just walk past the person who needed prayer for healing. And it wasn't until I ended up going to Africa later in my life, and I actually experienced it, that I was like, of course I'm going to pray for healing. I'm going to pray for healing if I have a cold, because I can trust that I will not be disappointed, because it's not necessarily the physical healing, but I can trust that God is going to, if I pray for it, and that is, we serve a healing God, that I can trust that he's going to be true to his word, and there will be healing in that situation, just like, even more so than Jimmy could trust in a doctor. We can trust in a God who is proven. Right? Amen. So that leads us to our next point, which is a sustained hope. Now, Romans 15, we're skipping ahead now. It says, for whatever reason, it was written um, in former days, excuse me, it says, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scripture, we might have hope. Because he has been faithful in the past, we can trust him in the future. Now that's, that's what we're doing with our hope, right? Because he's been faithful in the past, we can trust him with our future. And like I said about Jimmy's doctor's track record, this is beautiful because it says, it says what was written in former days for our instruction, for our instruction. We are to be instructed by what was done in the past and what was recorded. And it says through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. We should be encouraged. One of the things that, I love about this is it's telling us to turn to the word. 
Where do we get our hope? Where do we get our strength from? We get it from the word. When we need hope, when we're looking for something, when, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm so guilty at trying to figure out everything by myself. You know, I, I, don't, nec- I don't actually build on And it's because I'm struggling and I'm trying to put my hopes, my trust in myself. And it never works out. But it's not until someone or, or someone points me to the word that I go into and I realize it. What am I doing? Why am I trying to figure this out by myself? I am so inadequate. I am not proven. I constantly fail. Right? And if we put our trust in ourselves or in other people, that is what's going to happen. But if we go to the word and we trust in the promise that God has given us, we will not be disappointed. There will be no shame in hope in God. You know, one of the things I love is the mission trip with Denise was not my last mission trip, and we didn't make more money. <laughs> I ended up three years later going to South Africa. That was $7,500. I had to make $3,000 in a week. It happened. God provided. A, year, a couple years later, I went back to Belize. That's $2,500 more. I was in school at the time. I definitely didn't have any money. God provided. A year after that, I went to Ghana. That was $3,500. God provided. Because when he, what he did in the past, he will do in the future. He was good in the past. He will be good in the future. We could trust him in the past. We can trust him in the future. He's a proven God, and he is worthy of our hope. The last point we have is he's a God of hope, right? So we talked about a glorious hope, right? And we talked about when we want to glorify God, we put our hope in him. And we talked about a tested hope. And when we're struggling, we can put our hope in God and trust that this suffering is, is, is just a sign of what God has come to, come to promise and that we'll get there someday. We talked about a shameless hope. We should not be ashamed in our hope in God because he's proven. And we talked about a sustained hope, turning to the scripture when we need encouragement and hope. Now, this isn't so much a variation of hope. It's a characteristic of God. God is a God of hope. Romans 15 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. So by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Right? This is a big deal, guys. We serve a God that is a God of hope. This is what he desires for us. He desires for us to put our hope in him. Now, why is that? You know, you get the question sometimes from whether it be non-believers or, or people that are new to, new to faith, it's like, why, why you, how can God not be selfish? He, he asks you to worship him. Well, he asks us to worship him because he knows us worshiping him is good for us. And in the same way, we serve a God of hope, and he asks us to put our hope in him because he knows that the, the result of hope is joy and peace. By putting our hope in God, we receive joy and peace. Now, we all know what this feels like. We've all been disappointed. We've all experienced that feeling of disappointment. But at the same time, we've all experienced putting our hope in something and it working out. And it's a great feeling. It's almost as if you've held your breath and you get a release. You get some weight off you and you get to take a breath and you get to be okay for a little bit until you have the next thing you got to hold your breath for because they come like that. But the beauty of serving a God of hope is that we get that feeling immediately. We don't have to hold our breath because we already know what the result's going to be. Amen? So we can put our hope in God knowing that immediately we can experience joy 
and peace. Now, there's a, uh, a teacher, or no, excuse me, he was a, a self-made millionaire. His name was Eugene Lane. And he lived in New York, and he was going to be teaching at a class in uh, Harlem, class of sixth graders. Now, this is Harlem. It wasn't a good part of the city, and, and many of these sixth graders would not <clears throat> graduate college, or excuse me, would not graduate high school. And Eugene Lane was racking his head about what he wanted to say to the class. He was honestly just trying to figure out how he could even get their attention, right? How can I get these kids to pay attention to me? We have nothing in common. And he walked in the class and he decided to speak from his heart. He scrapped everything he was going to say and he said, stay in school and I will pay for your college tuition. Now he had the money. He was a self-made millionaire. He said, stay in school and I will pay for your tuition. What he did there, similar to what Denise did to me, he changed those kids' lives because he gave them hope. Each and every one of those kids, college was probably not even a wishful thought. Probably not even something you cross your fingers for. It wasn't even attainable. It was just a distant thought. It was something that other kids did that would never happen for me. And in that instant, he gave them hope. And what did we see happen? 90% of those students graduated high school and went on to college. He gave them hope. But it wasn't just that he gave them hope. He was a self-made millionaire. He was a credible source. This wasn't just somebody walking up. This wasn't a person with no money walking up and saying, I'll pay for your college. That doesn't give you hope. You need the means and you need the desire. And we serve a God that has the means and the desire. Amen? Our God has the means to provide for us and he has the desire to provide for us. But not only that, he has a perfect track record. He is proven. So I know that it's hard. I know that I can say all of this, these things and we walk out and be like, yes, I'm gonna be hopeful and it's just gonna happen. Well, that's not the case. We struggle. I know each and every one of you in here have hoped for things before and been disappointed or have misplaced your hope. But let us stand today acknowledging that hope through faith in God anchors us in a sea of uncertainty and doubt. And as we begin to acknowledge that, we can stand firm together when the sufferings come, when the trials come. We can stand firm with our hope in God, knowing that this is only a sign of what is to come. And we can stand firm and glorify God in the midst of that, because we know we serve a God of hope. So I encourage you this morning that as you go out from here, that you try to stand firm in hope. Stand firm unshakably on the unshakable foundation, right? We call these the unshakables. We are not unshakable. The only reason we can be unshakable is because we stand on an unshakable God. Amen? So that is what I, my prayer for you today is. I, try to, I hope I can encourage you with that this morning, that we can stand firm and unshakable in our hope that is found in a God of hope. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just, we thank you so much for the opportunity that you've given us today, Lord God, to understand you more, Lord God, to open our hearts and humble ourselves before you, God, and allow your Holy Spirit to fill us up and speak to our life. Lord God, not just speak to our minds, but speak to our hearts, Lord God, and allow us to apply this in our lives, Lord God. We thank you so much for that blessing, Lord God, for that knowledge, and we just pray that as we go out from this place, Lord God, that you will allow us to live this out, Lord. 
they will allow us to walk in the steps that you ordered for us. Trusting in you, never wavering, knowing that you are always in control, right? You are sovereign. You are always in control. You are victory. There is no such thing as failure for you, Lord God. So let us trust that with our minds and, and feel it in our hearts, Lord God, and walk it out every day. Let us be an encouragement to the people we come into contact with, Lord God. Not just our brothers and sisters in Christ, Lord God, but all of your children who you love dearly. And speak this good news of hope. Despite any suffering that we face, despite that people might hate us, let us speak the good news of hope that is found in Jesus Christ. Yes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us. Don't forget, you can find us online at cityoflights.church and connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.